You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We're going to talk about the California cannabis market here on Grassroots Marketing on CannabisRadio.com. Thanks again for joining us. So the market we've talked about a number of times on the program, and I still remember I never got the interview that I wanted with the environmental compliance inspector for the city of Los Angeles. He was offered to us, but then we never got connected to go and get that on. And I had so many questions for them to go and ask about when it comes to ordinances and compliance and so many issues. Plus the breakdown of the amount of taxes that California growers, cultivators, dispensary owners, just MSOs in general, to go ahead and have to go and deal with on a regular basis. And then the kind of investment you have to put in. So you're talking about Taxes in unincorporated areas of the county, $10 per square foot for cultivators, 6% tax on gross retail receipts, also including 2% tax for testing facilities, 3% tax on distribution, 4% for manufacturing other marijuana business facilities, so much more. That means you need a lot of investment, a lot of money to go ahead and continue to go ahead and build upon the market. And here to go ahead and talk to me about this is really, I really appreciate the fact that we get to go ahead and get into this subject because there's so much in the area of where my guest is a licensed attorney, practices uh, has practiced in the areas of business and real, real property litigation, regularly advising real estate investment companies and small to medium-sized businesses and other industries, navigating litigation, legal, and regulatory hurdles encountered in California, which is a plenty. So I'm here with the CEO of MWG Holdings, Tom Sheridan. Tom, thanks for being on. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So as I said, the... I can want to, it's just, it's, it feels maddening to go through what you have to go through California. So I really, it's amazing. And the thing is, <clears throat> that's not only the fact that you do work as an attorney and you work on the legal and real investment sides, but you're also an owner yourself, owning and operating perfect union. We had Megan Ford over on our Green Peak program, COO of the company. And, you know, you get a lot of great products throughout that. And you understand because you're going through the whole setup here. Supply chain, cultivation, manufacturing, and distribution. So as a business owner, when you hear those kind of numbers and, you know, you look at if there's others looking for guidance from you about entering into the California cannabis market, you know, it's quite aggressive. Obviously, a whole lot of saturation in the market by a lot of companies, but it is tough when you have the amount of taxes and the amount of regulations you have to deal with. 
Yeah, don't do it. That's the general advice at this point in time. What? <laughs> no, I mean, can you yeah. still do it? Do you think it's still something feasible? I mean, uh, is there a certain amount of capital that you just need to see? Like, maybe there's something where you get into the market. Obviously, there's so much in the market to go ahead and, you know, there's so much, so much population, so many customers to go and reach out to that you're just might be still room to go ahead and jump in. But you also, they're going to figure out, will things change economically? Will regulations, will legalization make a difference once California, if you decide to go in, you know, do you feel like there's going to be something where, if people were co- were come in and stay for the long run, yeah. What what I tell every everybody that, that asks me the questions about you know investing in the cannabis space is is be sure of what you're doing, and be sure of who you're doing it with, and then make sure you're adequately capitalized. Because what people have underestimated in the cannabis space, including myself early on, was the cost it takes to not only uh, you know launch a project, but also the you know the holding cost for the period of time where you're getting permitted, where you're getting licensed. Uh, where you're going through all those hurdles, and then uh, what people underestimate is the cost of the capital in the cannabis space. You know, in cannabis, we don't have the luxury of borrowing and lines of credit from traditional and fundamental lending sources. So it's all independent investor capital that's you know typically cost upwards of thirty plus percent, right? So it's very difficult um, to service that kind of of debt when you're uh, also servicing the tax loads that you were referencing when we first started here, right? So you have a lot of weight local taxes, but also, you know, city taxes, county taxes, state taxes, sales taxes, um, you know, and then, you know, the, obviously the federal burdens of 280E and everything else. So it is a very, very challenging environment uh, that you need to be very cognizant of before you enter the space. So with that said, though, if you know what you're doing and you're partnered with pe- good people, um, there definitely is a market and the market is still wide open for for new entries. So when you look at what is can be navigated, na- navigated, and they also for those that are in the market right now and just trying to go ahead and stay above. I mean, there's things that can be that they've been talking about where we look at. I mean, I see right now where Governor Newsom right now he's looking to go ahead and try to increase the diversity of the market. So there's a story now that he's going to add, you know, what was it like another fifteen million dollars in the equity grant round for local jurisdictions. I mean, the thing is, for those that are going to come in, I mean, that number looks nice, but it's really. It's only so much, and I don't know how many licensees can be brought in as a result, but one of the things that they talk about when it comes to, say, New York or New Jersey or Massachusetts, all the areas where they talk about social equity, for those that are trying to compete with the MSOs, with, with companies like Perfect Union, in all the respect, they got to have the money to go ahead and be able to go and su- sustain you know, that first couple of years of uh, any amount of time of loss to then go to get to a profit. The part is that you know some of these licensees so many people that get the licensing will not might might have good intentions but not, not might not have the business acumen or the wherewithal to go ahead and handle what california is going to bring to them to be able to going to build a sustaining business without it going and failing at the first first one to three years yeah that's that's an interesting point i actually recently spoke to several of the social equity applicants in sacramento that were awarded licenses and their biggest challenges is access to capital uh, because the capital comes at a pretty significant cost and then you've got to, you know, in in these this day and age, access to capital at all at any cost in cannabis has proven difficult um, due to the fact that you know a lot of the folks that came out in early, um, the investments didn't materialize. So people have a kind of a sour taste in their mouth for cannabis investments. So you know, any capital at any cost in cannabis is difficult. And then if you can't obtain it, the cost of doing that and getting something opened, you know, it takes you know eighteen to twenty four months to get any kind of project off the ground. 
Um, and so you have the carrying costs of that. And it's just really the economics are, are difficult to make sense of. See, I mean, the government's trying to look at the short-term exposure and what it looks, uh, it's a feel-good moment. Okay, State Department of Cannabis Control wants to also double the amount of money available to localities, speeding up the opening of cannabis retailers. Fine, but that's just to open them up. But where's the long run? Where's the uh, sustainable funding that comes out there? And where can, you know, social equity licensees, where can they go for that? To be able to sustain the kind of seed funding and you know venture capital that is out there, is it still available? What what we really need is some sort of federal movement, right? either in the form of the Safe Banking Act or or some other uh, process by which we can get institutional money into the space, um, so that it doesn't come at such a significant cost, and again, you know, the access to capital improves significantly. Without that, um, it proves really difficult to do anything. The other thing would be, and I will say this on this program as well, I do it on Blunt Business as well, every time we talk about California, what a grand opportunity. And Governor Newsom even brought it up, the idea of interstate commerce, but only if there's federal legalization, which means nothing. Like it's, it's it ends to nothing because it doesn't mean anything. It's a nice sentiment. It's a nice gesture. But either which way, if interstate commerce could be done from a regional standpoint, Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, Arizona, all interconnected. Imagine how much perfect union could do to really go and distribute and push the product across where cultivation doesn't have to be replicated in separate states, that it could be done in this way. Is there anything where you see that kind of thing coming up before legalization? Because I still think it's three to five years down the line. Before we even get to a bill, even though we have the bills in place, Congress, I think, will not be able to get to that and put it up for a vote. Yeah, I just don't see interstate commerce happening uh, before some sort of federal legalization. I just don't think we're going to be able to get that together. Uh, there's a you know, myriad of, cha of challenges that stand in the way of that. Um, so I, I think that's going to be difficult. But I agree with you. That's you know one of the biggest problems is you know the inability to have an efficient market with respect to cultivation and anything else. It doesn't make sense to build a you know multi-million dollar cultivation facility, millions and millions of dollars that um, you know could produce lots and lots of products that you can only get you know here in California, and then to go replicate that process, Arizona, Nevada, Oregon, Washington, you know it just doesn't make any financial sense. And I'm going back to 2022 when I put this uh, information together about just in Los Angeles alone. At the time, I'm looking at this in 2022, 692 cannabis businesses, 243 were social equity, 449 general. This is according to MJ Bizdidi going to the city data and there were another 506 businesses securing provisional licenses and the department and the, the DCR there were also regulating over 1400 temporary licenses. So there's all this here and what they were talking about, maybe what $22 million in state grants to help in, in just that area to bring on. But the, you know, licensing is an issue where you can't get the full license. You can't, you're under temporary or provisional licenses. You know, the framework you're going to just work with, Transitioning the annual licenses might take until January of 2026. These things here, it's all, it's a cluster that is not being handled or taken care of. I mean, it's really, for those that were able to get in early, they're the ones that get advantage. But for anybody that wants to get into the space now, I mean, there ha I would imagine there still can be room for companies to come in and see if they want to go and expand into California and they haven't done so. They went to other markets first. What do you say about that? Yeah, I think actually, as far as California goes, um, if you, I, I think if you have the wherewithal and the knowledge, um, that there, there possibly is not a better time to get into the market, at least that I've seen, um, with respect to other than being, you know, a first mover early on back in, you know, 2010, 11, 12, 
but the um, you know the prices for cannabis businesses that are that are trading hands now are at least at manageable numbers. Um, you know, in 2018, 19, 20, uh, even 21, I'm not sure that you could make a good cannabis deal because the economics were so out of whack. Um, at least now things are trading on multiples of uh, EBITDA rather than you know top line multiples that are just you know phantom pro formas. So I do think that if you're going to invest in the cannabis space and you have the wherewithal and, sta- and the staying power and the, and, the, and the stomach for it, that it's a, it's a good time to invest in cannabis. So if you're not looking to go and open up something new, I mean, do you see a lot of companies or do you see that in some of the guidance you might have given or some of the conversations you might have had, is it really just more about maybe there's some companies that might be struggling a little bit that somebody can go ahead and acquire? Like MSOs, can they just sweep right in? And take some of these shops and some of these existing businesses. Is it really just is it is it really just a boon for for those companies that come in and just you know pick up more more ground? You know, I think primarily it it is because it's for people it's for people that have established processes and procedures in place. Because you know, one thing that we've noticed is is nobody selling um, businesses that are in, in really good shape. So so those big dispensaries out there, those are, those aren't the things that are trading. The things that are moving are the dispensaries that are not seeing enough people. Um, that can't seem to make money, um, that have other issues, whether it be parking, uh, location. Um, you know, at, at, in the in the golden days, people would open a dispensary anywhere that they could. Uh, location and parking uh, didn't matter so much as they do now. Um, and so that's the kind of stuff that's moving. So you got to be able to dig through that stuff, pick the stuff that that works, and figure out why you can make something work that nobody else could. And so uh, we're being really, really selective on what we're looking at and what we're pursuing because. It's just we don't have uh, the luxury of having a bunch of access to capital or anything else. Um, and so we have to be really smart with what we're doing and how we do it. Uh, but those are the kind of things we're looking at right now, right? Demographics, location, parking. Um, you know, did somebody else do it fail? If they did, why? What does the competition look like? What does the local tax structure look like? Because that makes a big difference. You have local taxes ranging anywhere from, you know, 1% to 2% all the way up to 10 or 12%. You know, so the... Um, Obviously, that makes a big difference on on what you're doing and how you're doing it. Some places have minimum tax structures where you know it's it's thirty five thousand a month or you know ten percent, whatever's greater, right? And so um, you know when you're kicking off a dispensary and you're seeing twenty people a day, it's really hard to stomach that thirty five to forty thousand dollar a month minimum. And I'll try to think. There was a company I remember t- without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running. Everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Talking to here on the program where yeah, it really, well, even just in the business right now of companies that might be underperforming and the opportunities for, you know, companies go to and be able to get in negotiate sales and put it into the place. Because I mean, for where I'm at in Florida, there's a lot of that going on where you see companies that are in the struggle and try to find their way. You know, when, when you see a number of companies that might have already built MSOs, but we're seeing a lot of acquisitions. We're seeing MSOs that are kind of just eating up by each other, swallowing up their competition and just taking the other smaller, smaller size, underperforming and just taking in and taking, taking into place. Is that something where you see like, because of how the market is, you know, any small businesses are not going to be able to survive much of what's going on here. So the MSOs are going to take much more claim. Yeah, I think, you know, there's not a lot of MSO activity in California right now, but I think in other places that's occurring. Um, and so, but the, I, I do think there's economies in scale that are going to be realized uh, in more um, over the next coming year or two, um, as you know, we get increased buying power and things like that, I think it makes a difference. And what I've heard um, is that you know vendors dealing with these uh, fractionalized ownership and these bond and pop facilities up and down the state. When they went to collect their money, they had a whole bunch of accounts at you know two thousand dollars a piece or a thousand dollars a piece, and it made it didn't make sense to even chase it. So the um, you know the vendors want to deal with the larger companies because larger accounts make it easier for collections and accounts receivable. Um, and just less, you know, rather than dealing with, you know, a hundred or a thousand different people, you're dealing with, you know, two or three groups that have, you know, big chains. So what I've heard from vendors is that they're, they're leaning towards dealing with some of these larger groups and they're providing, you know, better, better opportunities for them. So now I want also want to go to ask, there was a recently, <clears throat> was it a vid that held on a keynote interview, um, and this was done at the Meadowlands in Mendocino County. And they had the director of the Department of Cannabis Control and the deputy director of compliance on board. They were talking to licensees, industry leaders, discussing the issues about the cannabis industry. So, they, you know, obviously a public forum. And when you talk about it, they were talking about the importance of expanding consumer access to cannabis and addressing the per persistent issue of the legal cannabis market and needing for collaborative efforts to create a more transparent and regulated market prioritizing consumer safety while supporting legal businesses. We know that the illicit market is still something that's very rampant. And, you know, we just go to New York, that gets a lot of press about it because of tens of thousands of shops opening up all over, popping up everywhere. And there's only so much of a dent that law enforcement can do. And I remember going back to 2018, the New York Times reporting about, you know, going on a regular basis, what, in one year, having to do about 3,000 busts of various illegal shops or, or at least complaints that were being address to law enforcement and i think it was in orange county alone to go ahead and handle the amount of illicit market that was going on talk to me you know is it anything that you see right now in terms of what could be done right now in terms of curbing that illicit market and getting some of that money back to companies like yours i think what it's going to take to to do that is ultimately um, curbing some, you know, not only the barriers to entry so that we can get more um, licensed retail facilities throughout the state, uh, but also curbing some of the tax structure and some of the costs associated with it. Because competing with the illicit market, uh, when you have the compliance and the tax burdens that face all of these 
uh, legitimate businesses, it becomes really a, a hurdle that's almost insurmountable. And so, um, you know, as a large operation uh, like Perfect Union, you know, we have compliance, we have attorneys, we have, uh, you know, CPAs, we have all these things that we spend money on, um, licensing, compliance, taxes, and it just makes it difficult for us to compete from a price standpoint uh, when you can go down the street and pick something up from your buddy. And so, um, until we can compete on a financial level, um, I think it's going to be difficult. And so, um, I tell people, I think it's hard to regulate your way out of a problem like the illicit market, um, that you almost have to let capitalism run its course, um, by, um, allowing people to compete on price and lowering that price down so that you can, uh, move people from the illicit market, um, to the, to the retail rec market. And so somebody told me something interesting the other day in the central Valley, they said, you can't find a good drug dealer in the central Valley because the prices in the dispensaries are so competitive. And so more people are going to the shops. And so, and that kind of, uh, uh, interested me. And I kind of took that to heart. It's like, gosh, if we could just get our prices down, um, then we would capture more of that market. But until the tax structure and the, you know, the cost of capital comes down, it's really hard to do that. Now, in that same meeting, they were talking about the fact of how the state has a very high excise tax on products, significantly, significantly higher than other commodities, increasing the aggregate burden throughout the supply chain. Local taxes imposed on cannabis products also further compound the issue. The other thing, local taxes on top of that. And they're talking about the fact that we're, you know, and there were the points where there have been retail bans in many areas for local jurisdictions and G's dry zones are allowing unregulated and untaxed cannabis to thrive. And with all that, again, if you were able to take the taxes out of all that, cut it down just somewhat significantly, and the cost goes back to the, you know, the, and the and the price doesn't get accrued to the customer, they don't have to go and take the, the brunt of it and get some of the back. Now, that plus the possibility, which is going to be probably a reality, that next year, the Biden administration, under the direction of them, they want to go ahead and get the DEA to deschedule from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3. We know that the one direct advantage of that descheduling by the DEA would be, you know, IRS code section 280E and giving the chance for companies to write off taxes. When you look at that opportunity, that plus any kind of help from the state government, state legislature to bring down the excise tax and other local taxes that are really hampering businesses like yours. I mean, how much can that really come in and really help out businesses like yours to really continue to do well in the market and also be able to again, you know, go towards growth. Oh, that would, that would make a massive difference. I mean, we are, you know, have spent some time actually um, working on modeling that out on exactly what that would look like. Uh, we are probably going to go out and seek some additional capital here in the very near future. And that's one of the, you know, it's kind of the selling points. It looks like that's on the horizon. Um, I'm hoping that it comes to fruition. But yeah, I mean, it changes the landscape of the cannabis industry by, uh, you know, night and day. It's not even, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think at this point would be one of the one of the best things that could happen. Now we haven't talked at all enough about Perfect Union, which of course you you're heading the front with that with MG Holdings Group being the owners of Perfect Union, and obviously Cannabis Accessories, nine stores, uh, predominantly Sacramento area, Sherlock, Marysville, Morro Bay, Napa Valley, Shasta Lake, Shasta County, and Seaside, among others. Uh, talk to me about you know where things are with Perfect Union. Obviously, we talked with. Megan Ford in 2022, last year on the program. And tell me what the progress were, where things are right now with Perfect Union. 
Yeah, so so Perkin um, had a kind of a fundamental shift where, um, uh, and uh, we actually Seaside's gone by the way, but the um, we made a calculated decision to move away from a expansion based focus to more to a profitability focused company, mm-hmm. uh, primarily to you know avoid things like the word like burn rate um, in today's economic climate. Um, so what we did is we uh, you know number one scaled back. Um, corporate operations significantly. Um, we looked at each and every store that we were running, looked at profitability of each and every business unit, broke it down, um, went back to more of a core group, uh, back to the roots of MWG in the beginning, um, and just took a look at basic business fundamentals, right? And so uh, we couldn't afford to lose money anymore um, on a month-by-month basis or in a year-by-year basis. And so anything that didn't have a direct path to profitability um, we either shut it down or liquidated it or both. Um, and, and went from, you know, uh, expanding at any cost, uh, at any, for any asset to, you know, just being very strategic and laser focused, um, at the task at hand, which was becoming possible, which I'm proud to, uh, to say that we are now. So, so stores all located and. What can you tell me right now in terms of, I see there's a lot of things when you have encompassing with a $75 weed box, everything that you need weed box you have available and anything else in terms of terms of uh, a products or anything that you have in the works right now, uh, what people can look for in the stores right now, anything for the holidays, anything like that you can tell us. Yeah. So we have a bunch of uh, new exciting things coming up, both some sales for, you know, um, green Wednesday. And then some internal products that uh, we're developing now, we're actually coming out with, we've rebranded our, our, our internal flower uh, that we cultivate ourselves. It's been a bestseller for us for the better part of a decade. Uh, we went from uh, some exciting new packaging on that from 530 Grower to uh, 5G, um, which is kind of a throwback to 530 Grower. Uh, that's some of our best moving product. Um, it's fire. You should check it out if you go into the stores. Um, we're also launching some new value lines. Uh, one of them is called Blazy. Um, it's going to be not only affordable, but some real quality product. And so we're launching both edibles, um, carts, and some flour under that line as well. So um, that's going to be for the you know the the folks that are really strapped with you know gas prices and, and food prices where they're at right now. Uh, we think it's really important for the consumer to get bang for their buck. Um, and so we're focusing on values so and not necessarily the cheapest, but best product, best uh, product for the money. And so I think it, people will be really um, happy to check out the Blazy line. Uh, we've got some tremendous success with it thus far. And uh, I think I'm looking forward to good things to come with that. So wonderful. Really appreciate you taking time out. They're going to talk to us. Uh, Tom Sheridan, CEO of MWG Holdings, LLC, and the website for Perfect Union, perfect-union.com, perfect-union.com. Tom, thanks for being on with us. Really appreciate you taking time out. I appreciate you. Thanks for taking the time. Enjoy talking to you. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.